covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. I'm your host for the next hour or so as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Have a lot to get into this week. Our featured guest, we are going to be joined by J.R. Radcliffe during our social media conversation. He is the trending sports reporter over at the Journal Sentinel. We are also going to be joined by Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball as we talk all things minor leagues coming up in our Down on the Farm segment. So that's all coming up. Of course, we've got our headlines of the week in just a bit as well. A couple uh, housekeeping items that we always like to do here at the top of the program. If you listen very often, you know exactly what I'm about to say. Uh, first off, if you ever need to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter at Matt Pauly on air. If you've got comments on what we talked about inside of the podcast or just have general comments, uh, we can take those tweets at Matt Pauly on air. You can also always email me if you would like, matt.pauly at wtmj.com. Also, if you uh, do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and can subscribe and can also uh, leave a rating and review, that's helpful. The more subscribers we have and the more ratings and reviews we have, the better it looks for uh, all parties involved. And we want uh, as many folks to be able to hear this podcast on an every week basis. Brewers are in an odd spot. As always, we record this uh, we record this podcast on Sunday nights. So uh, I am speaking to you at 10.36 p.m. on Sunday night as I record here at the moment. Brewers are in a bit of an odd spot right now. Because if you watch this team, if you follow this team... It doesn't feel great right now. It just it doesn't. They've lost their last two series, uh, losing two out of three to Atlanta and also losing two of three to San Diego. And the way in which they've lost some of those games uh, makes it hurt even a little bit more. And the fact that they were playing a Braves team that they're right next to in the wild card standings and, in fact, uh, combined the Braves' win and the Phillies' losing on Sunday, the Braves actually move into the National League East lead, technically, and the Phillies fall back into a wild card position. So right now, the Brewers are actually tied with the Phillies for the two wild card spots. It's a virtual tie with the better winning percentage going to Philadelphia. So if the season were to end right now, the Phillies would have the home game for the wild card game, but that's not really a, a fair statement because the two teams have not played the same amount of games. Uh, Philadelphia is 65 and 52, so they have two less wins and two less losses than the Brewers, who are 67 and 54. But, anyways, going back to my point, it's an odd period where it almost feels like the season is on the brink. In fact, Ryan Braun even made reference to it after the team picked up the win in Game 2 against Atlanta, winning 4-2. He made the statement that it felt like a season-saving win. And I think for a lot of people, it did kind of feel that way. But when you really look back at this club since the All-Star break, it's been okay. They started out after the All-Star break losing 2-3 of three to a very good Dodgers team. But then they went on a run where they took two of three from Washington. They took three of four from San Francisco. Uh, They split a four-game series in L.A., and they won two out of three against Colorado. That's a pretty good run right there. The Washington, San Francisco, Dodgers, Colorado period from July 23rd to August 5th. That's pretty good. That's pretty solid. 
They then lose two of three to San Diego. And that final game that they lost was especially the... Uh, that, that was a gut punch loss, to say the least. But then they go to Atlanta, and they've got an opportunity to take a series from a team that they're right next to in the standings. And they were in pretty good shape on Sunday, but they couldn't finish it off. The bullpen had a letdown, and the offense couldn't do what you would have liked to have seen the offense do when they leave 13 runners on base. So I guess this this kind of goes back to what, if you listen to the podcast the the week after, or the day after, I guess, going into the All-Star break, when they were coming off that road trip where they lost five in a row at Pittsburgh and also lost two out of three to Miami, so they went on this, what, eight-game road trip and lost seven of eight. If you listen to podcast then, I said something along the lines of, for those of you who think it's really, really bad and they're not going to make the postseason the season's over, it's not that bad. And for those of you who say, ah, it's no big deal, they just lost a couple series, everything's going to bounce back, there's, there's no worries, well, it's not that either. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Bottom line is, the Brewers can't be losing series to the San Diego Padres, especially when they're in that position that they were in in the final game of that series. Bottom line is when they're playing the teams that they're next to in the standings, they got to find a way to win those series. You can't go lose to Atlanta like that. Now you're done playing Atlanta, and you do take the season series from them, so if it ends up being some sort of tiebreaker at the end of the season, you're in pretty good shape. But that's a that's a series that as a playoff team, you got to find a way to win. Their schedule, it's an up-and-down schedule moving forward. They've got a couple games in Chicago against the Cubs coming up this week, day games on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, they'll go to St. Louis this weekend. That's a scary spot to be in. Cardinals have been playing some some pretty good baseball. I don't know if people totally realize what the Cardinals have been able to do, do over the last couple weeks. Cardinals are 8-2 and two in their last 10 and have won five in a row as we talk on Sunday night. The Cardinals right now are only behind the Dodgers in terms of teams that are out of playoff position. They only have to leapfrog over the Dodgers, and then it's the playoff spots just in front of them right there. Cardinals are two and a half games back of the Brewers right now for the wild card spot. Cardinals are a little bit of a scary team. They've been playing a lot better since the interim manager, Mike Schilt, took over for uh, for Mike Matheny. And I wasn't a big Mike Matheny fan. I think they are going to play better with Schilt. So uh, that's something to uh, certainly keep an eye out for as they go forward. But that series coming up against St. Louis, that's going to be that's going to be a big series. They have home series against Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. You got to have success there. They go to Cincinnati at the end of August. Opportunity to win some games there. Have a series at Washington at the end of August and September. You wonder what that Washington team is going to look like then. Are they going to be making a run to try to get into the postseason? Or are they going to be packing it in at that point? Their final home series against the Cubs is in early September. They also play at home against San Francisco in early September. They'll have another series against the Cubs at Wrigley in September. They'll have home series against Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. They'll go to Pittsburgh and St. Louis. And then a home series against Detroit. So that's the season. And they've. you look at all those series, and especially the series against teams that are not the Cubs, because right now the Cubs are the first place team, and I think for me, I'm more worried about the Brewers staying in wild card position than I am being able to chase down the Cubs. It's I think it's going to be if they can. I'm not saying they can't. 
I'm certainly not saying they can't chase down the Cubs. I'm certainly not saying that the best possible opportunity wouldn't be to chase down the Cubs, because it would be. But the Cubs are a really good team, and as I look at what the better percentage chances are, I feel like this is a Brewers team that probably has a better chance to be a wild card team than they do a division winner. Doesn't doesn't mean they can't win the division. Uh, and uh, I, I just, you look at all those series that they're going to play, and you see a lot of series that they got to find a way to win as they battle with a bunch of teams right now for the wild card positioning. So if you're really worried about this team, thinks the season's over, it's not that bad. If you think that these last two series against San Diego and against Atlanta, no big deal. They can they can lose a couple series. They'll bounce back from that. Well, the, there is some reason to be concerned about that as well. I do think it's going to be interesting to see what David Stern still might do before the end of the month with the waiver trade deadline and whether or not he's able to maybe work out some deals for some pitching, whether it's from a starting standpoint or a relief standpoint, because both those areas could certainly be augmented before the season comes to an end. All right, so this is what we got on the program this week. Again, we are going to be joined by J.R. Radcliffe in just a few moments in our social media conversation. We also, later on the program, will be joined by Brad Ford. But right now, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. Zach Davies not quite ready to return yet. He is continuing to go through his rehab process, and he has missed so much of the season. And at this point, with the inconsistencies that we have seen from Freddie Peralta, you you get that sense that once Zach Davies is good to go, he is going to be given that opportunity. But uh, he's still, as we talk on this Sunday night, he still has at least one more rehab start to go through. Uh, most recently, he was pitching at Double A Biloxi, and uh, he pitched there. Uh, let's see what did, that was on Saturday, and he went five innings, giving up four runs on five hits, three strikeouts, three walks. Not great. Uh, he threw 86 pitches, so he was stretched out a little bit. That's good to see. But he's going to make at least one more rehab start, and then they'll reassess from there. Brewers uh, made some moves on the back end of the bullpen uh, this past week, well, both from a, from a high-leverage reliever standpoint and also from kind of that last guy on the roster. Uh, first off, Joaquin Soria. He got a little bit banged up this past week, so he was placed on the disabled list. You are hopeful that he will not stay on the disabled list very long because he is somebody that's very important to uh, that bullpen. At first, Adrian Hauser got called up. He threw two and two-thirds scoreless innings on Friday. At that point, uh, they sent him uh, down, and they brought Aaron Wilkerson back up. And it's just that constant churn of kind of that last guy in the bullpen when he goes multiple innings being sent down and getting a fresh arm back up. Could see Taylor Williams return from the disabled list. He's been dealing with an elbow issue. We uh, could certainly see him return during that Cubs series. No real timeline it sounds like on Matt Albers he was placed on the disabled list this past week Uh, that allowed a spot for uh, Jordan Lyles to join the team so that's where everything was at as far as Brandon Woodruff goes you know Woodruff had kind of been in that group of guys that was coming up and down the Brewers are going to keep him starting at AAA make sure he has his arms stretched out that way if there is a need for a starting pitcher at some point uh, moving forward he would be that guy uh, who would probably get that opportunity so don't expect to see Brandon Woodruff 
Woodruff doing that thing anymore when he comes up and down, up and down, up and down. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X-Drains, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks for being tuned in. Right now it is time for our social media conversation. Welcome to bring uh, back on to the podcast, uh, the podcast, I should say. I tried to combine podcast and broadcast in there. He is the trending sports reporter for uh, the Journal Sentinel. You can follow him on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. So it is J.R. Radcliffe. J.R., great to talk to you. How are you doing? I am doing. Uh, I'm doing okay. I, I'd be a little bit better if the Brewers were uh, were not not struggling quite so much uh, on the first part of this road trip. But uh, but I'm doing all right otherwise. Yeah, let's let's get into that a little bit because we're talking on Sunday night and they lost to Atlanta on uh, on Sunday afternoon. They lose two of three in the series, and the general consensus I think for Brewers fans are feeling bad about this team. But when you kind of take a step back and you go back to the beginning of the Washington series on July 23rd, so basically two weeks, uh, a series win against Washington, then a series win at San Francisco, they split at L.A. against the Dodgers, they take a series from Colorado, they lose a series to San Diego, bad loss, you can't be losing a series to San Diego when you're in a pennant race, and then hard-fought series against Atlanta, they win one of the close games, they lose one of the close games, and they get blown out in the other game. So from a big picture perspective I feel like not that it's good but I feel like it's a little bit better than people are feeling but at the same time this season does kind of feel like it's on the brink so where do you stand right now and kind of where the Brewers are at that's a long question (laughs) yeah I think I mean as with any baseball season you can always it's always framed on how you want to frame it I mean you could say the Brewers are a few games below 500 since the end of May, and that would sound kind of awful, you know. June, July, and the first part of August, they are, they are a middling team, and and I I do think that's a little bit concerning because you need to beat Washington two out of three. Washington right now isn't a playoff team. You need to go to San Francisco and win three out of four. I mean, there are a lot of seasons that have that have begun their descent on West coast road trips. So it was an unequivocal success that they went to two spots out West and, and won more games than they lost. That was a pretty good showing. And in a vacuum, two out of three against San Diego, losing two out of three, isn't the end of the world. There are going to be games like that. There's going to be games like Friday night when the Braves just pounded them and won 10 to one, or I don't even actually remember if that was the final score. It was, but yeah, yeah uh, I mean that those individual events are going to happen, but to be a playoff team, you have to have another gear. You have to be able to beat teams. It doesn't even matter which ones. You have to be winning series on a regular basis. And if you're going through home stands at three and three, and you know winning a series here and there on the road, but ultimately you know losing two or three to a team that you're really in direct competition with with Atlanta, I mean you, you've got to keep the foot on the gas. You can't go into these lulls unless you have. A winning streak in you have six, seven, eight game winning streak, and any team is capable of doing that. The Brewers are certainly capable of doing that, but we haven't seen right now the starting pitching pitch to a level and the relief pitching as well to a level where you would expect them to be able to do that, at least right now. So that's that's a little concerning. There are a lot of teams in the mix. There are very few teams in the NL that are just all out out of this race. And when what that means is somebody's going to get that winning streak. Somebody is going to, you know, is you're not going to be able to just go 500 baseball and back into the playoffs. 85 wins isn't going to do it. So unless you see some, you know, signs of life that are really like six, seven wins in a row or seven of eight or seven of nine again. I mean, if the Brewers aren't going to do that through the last month and a half of the season, they're not going to go to the playoffs. 
All right, so the way I framed that first question was kind of from a positive standpoint. Let me reverse it a little bit, and you made reference to this a bit. When we go back to August 2nd, and since then, they had the 21-5 to loss against the Dodgers. Then you go into that San Diego series. They had the 11-5 loss in Game 1. They also had the 8-4 loss in the final game, which might have been the worst loss of the season. Then they open up Atlanta with a 10-1 loss. Those type of games happen in a 162-game schedule, but four of those games happening in basically a week and a half, to me, that's a little bit alarming. Would you agree? I, I don't get that 21 run game. I'm not worried about that one at all. They threw Hernan Perez out there and he gave up, I think, seven of those runs. Like that was a total white flag moment. And they were coming off a road trip. They had done what they needed to do out west. It was time to come home. That game doesn't bother me at all. The 10 to 1 game doesn't bother me at all. The Braves are a good team. And at home, they're going to, you know, they're going to have a game where they just pound the hits out. And the, those types of lopsided losses honestly don't bother me nearly as much as the game where they have a 4-2 lead in the ninth and the guy that you've relied on to be your ninth inning guy comes out and walks the 7-8-9 hitters. Like that's, that's, I think, what makes the Braves series tougher is that last game, you know, at least tougher from a, from a fan perspective, the last game before in that Padres series left such a bad taste in your mouth. Because if he locks down that save, they take two of three like they're supposed to against San Diego. They go to Atlanta with a two-game lead in the wild card directly over the Braves, and they leave that series still with a one-game lead instead of being tied at the top of the, you know, at the wild card chase. Uh, still two games ahead of, you know, if the season ended today, they still have a two-game cushion. Like, they are still in the playoffs right now. So uh, you can take some heart in that. But like I said, that's 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 it's trending in the wrong direction because, like I said, the Dodgers have done very well since the end of May. And, and there are other teams in there that are still sort of ascending. So um, it, it definitely it, it's it's, a, you know, the answer, the answer is kind of the same to both questions. It's not the individual outcomes that really that really bother you. It's it's when you start to see signs of things that that are continuing and signs and you wonder, well, where, what's going to happen to turn the fortunes and prevent these from happening again right now? I don't know what you can point to, to say that the brewers are going to improve in this area because their offense is, is good. Like they're clicking to a deg- enough, you would say. And right now you just wonder, are the pitch, is the pitching going to hold up really for starters? It doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like we're going to get the, the, you know, the boost that they're going to need to go on a big winning streak from a relief standpoint. Uh, what was such a strength, all of a sudden, Corey Knable's really struggling, so you're trying to limit his high leverage uh, situations right now. Yeah, Sunday was a situation. I put this out to uh, callers on my postgame show on WTMJ. I didn't want callers just to call in and complain about how the bullpen was used. I wanted callers to call in if they were complaining about it, give a give a different route that Craig Council could have taken. Because just to use Sunday's game, for example, Josh Hader was used the day before for two innings, which was kind of a necessary thing. He was around 30 pitches. He was not going to pitch on Sunday. Jeremy Jeffress was being held to finish it off. I think he could have gone two innings. I would have probably expected to see him in the eighth. But they used Corbin Burns on a back-to-back situation for the first time ever. This guy was a starting pitcher like two months ago. They're forced to use Knable early on. Uh, you know, so, Some people called and said that Jacob Barnes should have been used in, instead of uh, Dan Jennings. Well, Barnes has, a, has like a 6 ERA in the month of August. I just... I didn't see it's uh, you know with Sori on the DL and Hader unavailable and Matt Albers being ineffective and then going to the DL. All of a sudden, it's been a great strength. Uh, you really need things to line up now, or that bullpen could have issues. 
I don't know what's actually worse is to be able to point to a maneuver with the bullpen that you can say, well, he should have done this instead of this or really not having that and knowing that just it's just everybody's struggling a little bit right now and the guys who you know the, the injuries are big with albers being ineffective and now injured and soria on the dl and and like you said with hater being unavailable totally understandably so they absolutely needed hater the night before to get the you know to get that win that win was so crucial and is still crucial um the heat really I, there's no move that you can say you would take back like all of those guys have struggled Knable, you've got to put him in a situation where he can find himself and he did and corbin burns is you know he maybe he hadn't done back to back before but they've trusted him in high leverage situations and he's if if you're going to put a rookie in the in the middle of a pennant race and and if you didn't trust him in that spot he wouldn't be here i mean he's he's a guy that that they're that they're relying on for these big time innings and he's going to need to go back to back. So, you know, he's just in a little bit of a rut as, as sort of hitters start to figure him out a little bit, probably. And it'll now be come down to the adjustments that he's going to make. But Jennings, I mean, the, these guys that at times this year, they've done the job. And the, like you said, there's no, there's no move to be made. That was wrong. It's just that everybody seems to be struggling. Everything is a slog to just get, you know, get through an inning or two. And, and it extends to the starting pitching. I mean, did, did it really feel like Chase Anderson was going to be able to make it through a fifth or sixth inning, which certainly would have helped the cause if he could have done that. But I don't know. I didn't disagree with him leaving after four either. It just seemed like that they were destined to give up more runs if that was the case. So, um, yeah, that's, that's just as frustrating. It's not, not about the moves. It's that there is no move to be made. That's, uh, that's a little alarming right now. Doesn't it? And I, David Stearns is a, uh, he's a cool customer. But doesn't it almost seem like that they've got to find a way to make some sort of waiver deal here in the month of August to help out with the pitching? Yeah, I would definitely think so. I, I just wonder what move are they going to make that's going to dramatically improve their chances. I mean, truth be told, even at the deadline, the options of the guys who are available, those. I mean, Joaquin Soria is about as good a relief arm as you could have gotten at the deadline. And now he's hurt for sure, but like he, that, Joaquin Soria is, is, a, is a fine pitcher, but that's not a guy that you bring in and say, that guy's going to be a hammer at the back end of your bullpen. And there just isn't that guy. And, and starting is the same way. I mean, Matt Harvey is a name that's been thrown around and he's okay, but he's not markedly better unless there it's a situation where they're saying, you know, unequivocally, we have to get Freddie Peralta. We have to limit his innings and, and he's struggled lately. We have to shorten the amount of time that he's out there. I mean, then maybe you go and get somebody who can be a, a you know a starting pitcher at that level, but there, there's there's no one to get like who's going to really change the fortunes of of where they are right now. I still think they will they will be active and and try to get somebody. I actually think they probably really tried hard to get somebody at the non waiver trade deadline and it just didn't work out. I mean, Kevin Gaussman certainly looked like a guy that he would <laughs> you would have wanted after the uh, after he shut down the Brewers uh, pitching for the Braves on Friday night. But um, I, I think they probably will try to upgrade a pitcher. I think catcher is another area where they're probably going to be active. But same as the pitching, there's just not a lot of guys out there who are going to be, you know, going to really upgrade what they have going on right now. Freddie Peralta, you made reference to him, and it seems like his spot of the rotation is only being secured right now by the fact that Zach Davies seemingly can't get it together on his rehab assignment. I think that's a hundred percent true. I think if I think if everybody had their druthers, Zach Davies would would 
you know, look good in his rehab start, come back to the big league team, and Freddie Peralta would go to the bullpen, or you know, maybe they even shut him down altogether. I mean, Peralta right now, he's he's still twenty, you know, twenty two years old, and they're not going to want him to be racking up big inning counts, even if he were being effective. And right now, he's he's not. He's very hit and miss. You know, he hasn't. It's it's not like he's been terrible outing after outing after outing, but he's definitely you know, same thing with with Burns or, or probably any young pitcher. Hitters have figured him out a little bit. They know what to wait on. He's issued a lot of walks. It's probably a, a straight, you know, straight exchange at that point. Bring Davies in, but again, like you said, he's not. He's not not coming through these rehab outings every time. He seems to get close. There seems to be another setback. You know, honestly, I don't. We get to a point in the season where you wonder, can you even count on Zach Davies coming back at all? I mean, certainly, I, I would think he's still coming back, but at, at some point, you know, at some point, you have to ask that question. That you have asked with Jimmy Nelson, like what are, what are you realistically going to get? Because Zach Davies, when he was with this team early in the year, he he wasn't great. He struggled a little bit, and I mean he certainly has good starts and bad starts, like a lot of guys. But you're not acquiring a front of the rotation guy. You know, you say, well, it's like a late season acquisition. I mean, if he's totally right, it is. But what you know, what are you expecting there? There's again, it's the same situation. It's not, there, there isn't a move out there right now that's going to dramatically improve where the Brewers stand right now. You mentioned you mentioned Jimmy Nelson. Look, I've been saying this since April, so I feel like finally what I was saying in April and May, maybe people are starting to come around on. I never really expected him to be a contributor this year. To me, the best case scenario would be him maybe coming up after the rosters expand in September, getting him an inning here, an inning there, working out of the bullpen, and allowing him to go into the offseason where it's a normal offseason for him. I don't see anything more than that for him this year. Would you agree or disagree? I mean, that's what I would expect. A best-case scenario is I think he comes back and he's effective enough where you can rely on him to be either a guy who's going to start and throw three or four innings or a guy who is and added to your bullpen, a fresh arm who is, you know, somebody who can really do some damage. And I mean, you do see that a lot in the playoffs where relievers who are normally starters or intended to be starters come in and, and sort of go through, you know, a month of just really good pitching. I could see that happening with Jimmy Nelson and I'm sure, I'm sure they'd love to see him start games. I don't, I don't, I just don't know how that's possibly going to yeah. happen, especially because he would have to unseat somebody. Uh, let's say Davies is back and Peralta is shut down. There isn't a clear path where you would you would say, we're going to put this guy in the bullpen and, and let Jimmy Nelson go to work because I don't know if you can trust that he's definitely going to be better and you know healthy and clicking and better than what you're getting out of a guy like Junior Gira or you know Ulysses Seen or Wade Miley at this point. So um, best case scenario, I think he comes in and becomes a pretty reliable relief option in a, in a in a bullpen where they're running out, you know, where the relief options are starting to dwindle a little bit, uh, but what you described is probably what's what I would guess is going to happen, where you just see him get a little bit of work, you know, get his feet back under him, and then get into the offseason training program so that he can he can work his way up to full health. It just doesn't make he's just too good to to sort of rush him back if if there's even a question mark that he's going to be healthy, because you know right now they've you know they're they've been a playoff team, they're still a playoff team. He would certainly add something, but there's no guarantee that he's going to be that missing ingredient. But if you give him all the time he needs to to get back to full strength, he could definitely be a massive, massive contributor in the years ahead. 
there's times where a team goes and acquires somebody and it just seems to fit in all ways. I thought Anthony Swarzak was kind of that way last year. He comes in, he had a very defined role, he fit in with the clubhouse, he fit in with the bullpen. It seems that way with Mike Moustakis. He's come <laughs> in, coming up with big hits, he fits into the lineup perfectly, he fits into the clubhouse. Obviously there's a million former Royals inside of that clubhouse, but everything about Mike Moustakis seems to be working right now. I think it's easy to say that when when the player is performing well, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's and he's done very well on both sides of the ball. He he looks like a really solid defender. I, I think we all came in believing he was going to be just an okay defender at best, but that's not what we've seen. And obviously, offensively, he's carrying carrying a nice load. I I mean, I still think it's a it's a little bit of an awkward fit, honestly, with with the moves they've made because they had a third baseman and they had a left-handed hitting third baseman and. Um, it, it, it still requires some some lineup gymnastics by Craig Council, but that's I don't disagree with that concept. Like it's it is it is a, a benefit to the team to have somebody at the caliber of Ryan Braun or Eric Thames coming off the bench every night. So it it, it is nice to have. It's nice to see him hit well. It's, he's hit lefties, like at least anecdotally. I don't know offhand the numbers, but you know he just he just looks really locked in, and uh, and yeah, that's certainly been <laughs> that's certainly been pretty awesome. Um, you know, I like Craig Council has always shown, for the most part, he he really likes to ride the hot hand. So you're not seeing Mike Mustakis. Sunday's a good example. He's not sitting out against left-handed pitching because he's still, you know, knocking the ball all over the field. And and there may come a time where he does slow down, and you see more of Shaw at third, more Jonathan Scope, more you know whatever, maybe Hernan Perez, whomever whomever gets into the lineup. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's been pretty great. Obviously he's endeared himself to Brewers fans pretty quickly, uh, off the field. Some of the stuff he's, you know, he's done wearing the Giannis Jersey and that sort of viral moment where he signed the, bought the Sharpie <laughs> to sign, sign a kid's shirt and target. I mean, obviously that's uh, that's going to warm yourself very quickly to the Brewers fans. And then it doesn't hurt when you make diving plays at third base and, and knock some balls out of the park. So, uh, very, it's it, that, that seems to be working out that acquisition for sure. While he has endeared himself to the fan base, Jonathan Scope has not he's committed some errors he has not hit all that well he's he's gonna come around he's a much better hitter than he's shown to me I almost feel bad for the guy because it's gone so bad he he went into a slump at the exact wrong moment and how about that game the other frustrating thing about that 4-2 game against the Padres on Thursday is that Jonathan Scope had the hit that really gave him the lead like mm-hmm. that was he was going to be sort of the storyline and then it all went wrong and everything shifted um you know I've I, I tell you what, the first week watching him swing at everything and really struggle and, and struggle in the field, I was I was frustrated too. I was it was painful to watch him because he was in a prominent spot in the order and he was the new acquisition and they'd given up something for him and it was really frustrating to watch him. I'm I'm actually beyond that now. I'm just I'm fine. I know he's a better player than this. I know he is. He he was AL player of the week, you know, the week before he got traded. He wasn't even struggling. In fact, the last couple months, he'd been really good. So I, I think it's the adjustment is going to come. And in a way, I'm kind of thinking, you know, just just work through it. You're going, you know, there's going to come a point where they really need the, the wins and the runs. And he's going to be there. He's going to be locked in at that point. Maybe September is the month of Jonathan Scope. I am I'm truly not worried about him. I think there's definitely he, there's definitely some benefit that he's going to bring. I think people ultimately will look back on this trade and be happy about it. I just have a really good feeling about it. 
we're talking on Sunday night. The team has an off day on Monday. Then they're going to play back-to-back day games at Wrigley on Tuesday and Wednesday before another off day on Thursday. And then they'll uh, go to another city coming up uh, this weekend. What do you make of uh, you know Brewers fans always uh, always looking towards the Cubs? I can't tell you how often the Cubs get referenced uh, during my <laughs> post-game show. How do you view this upcoming two-game set at Wrigley? Hey, it's. I mean, it's it's just two games out of the stretch that's what that's what players and, and managers will tell you but like i mean you got to win them like anything else but i'll say what i've been saying since the beginning of the year the cubs are a better team than the brewers they they just are and it's it's their offense and it's their pitching even when their pitching has struggled this year you know they've they've thrown as many relief innings as the brewers have they've they've they're almost identical in the amount of relief innings they've thrown the starting pitching has not been has not been special by any means but the cubs are just playing better i expect them to win the division I'm glad the Brewers are pushing them, but I'm not thinking about the Cubs anymore. I was for a while, and now I'm looking at the Braves, the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, the Phillies, these teams that are in the wildcard conversation, because that's really where I think the Brewers will end up. Um, it, it, two, I mean, it, two games, it's it's kind of a weird you know, sort of scheduling quirk to just have two day games in the middle of the week, but uh, you know, all it would take is just... You know, a couple oh, the wind blowing out favors the team with mashers up and down their offense. So if that were the case, the Brewers certainly qualify there. Maybe they steal a couple games and get right back feeling good about themselves heading into this, you know heading into St. Louis. All right, so I'll finish you off with this as we look towards the weekend when they go to St. Louis. And you just made reference to a lot of the teams that are fighting for the wild card spot. You didn't mention the Cardinals and the Cardinals I are yeah They're definitely in the mix. Eight and two in their last ten. They've won five in a row. They're now two and a half out. Uh, only the Dodgers are between uh, the Cardinals and the Brewers, who the Brewers are holding the second wild card. Uh, when Mike Matheny was the Cardinals manager, I didn't think there was any chance they were a playoff team. But I'll tell you what, after my, under Mike Schultz and the way that team seems to be energized uh, for the first time this year over the last week or so, I've become very concerned about St. Louis in that wild card race. It takes so much for me to stop cheering against the Cardinals, mainly because I despise them, but also because they are just always in it. Like no matter what, even when they're, you know, they've lost 10 in a row, you can't convince me that they're going to be there at the end of the year. And, you know, that's obviously a a little bit of hocus pocus because you never know year to year. And having seen them head to head with the Brewers, it's easy to say, well, unequivocally, the Brewers are the better team there because I really think I really think they are. Um and and if they get back into the mix, I, I certainly that would you know, they're certainly dangerous. I would say at this point though, there's so many other teams in the mix ahead of them. Like if the Brewers are dealing with the Cardinals, they're probably already in trouble. You know, like it, there's probably already other teams that have passed them at that point. So uh, I, I do uh, I do look at them and I'm certainly uh, pulling for them, but like with every team in the National League being being in play with like the exception of the Reds, maybe the Giants. I don't know. I mean, there's a couple teams you can you could sort of rule out, but I I don't know. I I guess there's there's bigger fish to fry in the in the short term. And if uh, if the Cardinals come to play at the end of the year, that wouldn't surprise me. But like I said, there's so many teams in play that if. You know, if the, Brewer, if the Brewers are worried about the Cardinals, they probably already are in, are in a little bit of trouble. He is J.R. Radcliffe. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter for the Journal Sentinel. Hey, take uh, take our listeners through the different things you do, Brewers-related, uh, on social media, the podcast, all that sort of stuff. If, uh, if people want to see uh, what you're doing, what's the best way to go about it? 
certainly you can find me at jsonline.com. That's where you'll see my stuff. Not often do I show up in the in the actual newspaper, but I'm on, you know, focus sort of on the on the digital side. It's not just Brewers. You know, we do a lot of Badgers, Bucks, Packers, etc. Um, just trying to find the stories that are sort of between the between the beats, so to speak. Like where I may not be covering a game or covering a story that's front and center, but maybe some of the peripheral stuff, stuff that happens on social media or stuff that is a look back, a lot of historical retrospectives. That's sort of a lot of what I do, and a lot of just here's a story that's popped up that's unusual or off the beaten path there's a lot you know anything with video stuff like that that's uh, that's where i come in so i've been uh, been doing this for a few months after covering prep sports for 15 years and and uh, having a lot of fun this has been a, a really good time and obviously the brewers have had a lot of success this year so there's been a lot to talk about write about compile and it's been uh, it's been a fun ride and even even through the rough patches i think it's still going to be a fun ride all the way through september jr uh, really appreciate your time and uh, we look forward to doing this again in the future Sounds good. I will talk to you then. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra is the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm. We're very happy to uh, welcome in uh, one of the top uh, guys you want to follow on Twitter and over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. Read this stuff if you want to follow the Brewers minor league system. It is a very regular guest to the program, Brad Ford. Follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Brad, it's always good to uh, get some of your time. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And I'm always happy to be here. Let's. Uh, so what we do uh, in these conversations, you know, a lot of times during uh, these conversations, I have the various team broadcasters on, and we focus in on uh, their take on the teams. And then when I have you and some of the other uh, minor league uh, folks on, try to kind of do an all-encompassing look. So that's that's what we'll do right now. And it's funny. We go from top to bottom. I look at this Sky Sox roster at AAA. You got Jacob Nottingham, but he's been up to the big leagues. Uh, you got Brandon Woodruff, but obviously he's been up to the big leagues. Uh, prospects are sometimes like cars. Their their status goes down the moment they put on a big league uniform uh, for, for the first time. From a prospect standpoint, this AAA team doesn't do a whole lot, I think, for prospect folks. Not that they're not a good team. They're a good team, but they're just good in kind of a, a veteran way. Would you generally agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they went from having a, an exciting core group of prospects in Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns. Uh, you mentioned Nottingham and Mauricio Dubon. And then Dubon goes down for the year with an ACL injury. Uh, Nottingham has been, like you said, up and down and also is, I believe, once again injured. Um, and then Burns and Peralta, people have been able to enjoy what they're, they've been bringing to the table at the big league level. Um, and since all of those happen, there's not really much in terms of prospect interaction. There's still plenty exciting to go on and watch in terms of people who can help the team and contribute. You have Domingo Santana. Um, he's been looking pretty good down there in recent weeks. Um, he actually has shown some level of power. He's managed to uh, hit five home runs in about 40 games and um, is hitting a 285 average. Um, of course, that comes with a disclaimer that it's Colorado Springs. So always be worthy or wary about judging people's performance, yada, yada, yada. But actually, his home and road splits are pretty even. In fact, his average is even better away. Uh, then you talk about other people who can contribute. Another guy we've seen earlier this year, Keon Broxton. Um, they added Reimer Liriano. So you have an exciting group of three outfielders there. 
a guy who used to be a top prospect who's having a pretty good season is Tyrone Taylor. Um, so he's someone who's always interesting to watch. Um, he has been up and down in terms of average, but he always seems to be producing and helping the team in some way. Um, and in terms of a guy who has been injured a lot in recent years, he's now putting together a pretty good season um, and establishing himself as someone who could have future value. If nothing else is a fourth outfielder, he can play all three positions Um he covers a lot of ground. Not the world's best arm, but good enough to protect you there. Um, and then it's a lot of veterans. Uh, or you have Tyler Saladino, who was up with the club, who can always contribute. Nate Orff, who was up with the club, who didn't really have a good run with the Brewers, as we all know. Um, a plethora of catchers and Christian Bethen- or Bethencourt and Jet Bandy are both having good offensive seasons. But yeah, I mean, I can keep going through the names, but they're all in that category of guys who have seen Major League time, uh, maybe haven't had the greatest success, but still are there to help the team if something were to happen, say an injury or something along those lines um, offensively. And then I think it gets much less exciting when you start looking at the pitching side of things. Um, Probably the most exciting player on the mound is Quinton Torres Costa. Um, one of the Hawaiian pitchers who actually survived the what seemed like Hawaiian pitcher purge, starting with the Christian Yelich trade. Um, but he's around. He's a very, very good reliever. Um, throws a good fastball. Has uh, combination pitches that show really well. Um, only 5'11", which is why he's more likely to be on the mound. But he strikes out a lot of players um, and has so far pitched to a one four one ERA at Biloxi and Colorado Springs. So he could be a guy in September who you see come up and get some bigger bullpen rolls um, and could really help the club in that month in terms of getting victories. But I don't think he'll be anyone who comes up ahead of that. Then you have all the role players that we've already seen. Aaron Wilkerson, Adrian Hauser, Brandon Woodruff, if you mentioned him. Um, Guys who probably deserve more of a shot, but haven't really gotten that playing time. And uh, are there if and when the club needs them, as we're seeing right now with the Soria injury, and they keep bumping a plethora of guys up and down, trying to get fresh guys up and innings where they can out of who they can. I think September's going to be interesting because basically the entire 40-man roster could get called up. And then I'm sure they'd like to get a third catcher. So if Jacob Nottingham's healthy, he's the guy. But if he's banged up, then they're looking at Jet Bandy. They're looking at Christian Bethencourt. you got to clear a spot on the 40-man roster. Uh, Quinton Berry, somebody who's got a ton of speed. That's a nice thing to have in September when you've got the expanded roster. But you'd have to find a 40-man spot for him. We we might see Jimmy Nelson uh, be active in September. I, I, don't, I don't buy it as a starter, but if he finally starts pitching, maybe he gets an inning or two out of the bullpen, well, he's going to have to come off the 60-day disabled list. That takes a spot on the 40-man roster. Somebody like Nate Orff, his 40-man roster spot could certainly be in trouble uh, if uh, because you, you don't really need to worry about infielders right now. But I, I am going to be, with September 1st hits, in addition to the current 40-man guys who are going to come up, I do think there's a few other guys that they might try to find a way to sneak onto the 40-man roster somehow, some way. Yeah, absolutely. And it would make sense in the terms of when you're looking for that September call-up, you are looking into that um, specialty kind of area where you look for people who can fill very, very specific roles. Um, And there's definitely a good grouping of that on this roster. Um, You know, 
Christian Bethencourt would be a great defensive catcher to have um, for late innings. Uh, Jacob Nottingham, of course, if he's healthy, will get the better bat. I think he will be healthy by then, um, so you'll likely see him. But yeah, it could lead to an interesting roster shakeup in, for the 40-man, which I don't feel like you ever see in September. You never really see that 40-man roster get shaken up in order to accommodate these specialty players and these like niche roles that players can come up and fill. Let's uh, let's jump to Double A Biloxi, and I think you could probably guess who the first guy I'm going to ask you about is. It's Corey Ray, who has just been hitting the heck out of the ball. He finished a month of July where he hit uh, 11 home runs. He's hit three home runs so far in August. We've waited so long to like finally see not just him put it together, but him put it together and it exists for a somewhat long period of time because he's been a guy through his entire career that's always been the flashes that we've seen. How exciting is it that Corey Ray finally is seemingly uh, reaching some of that potential that we thought he had? Well, it's abs- like it's very exciting because everyone kind of felt he was a huge bust. But there is kind of a disclaimer, an asterisk that goes with her, his performance, which is disappointing. And it's Biloxi, which is normally a very hard park for hitters to hit in, has actually been very favorable to left-handed hitters so far this season. If you look at his splits, he has a 1.003 OPS at home which is 300 points higher than his away hmm. OPS. So he's finding a lot of success in his home ballpark. Um, and a lot of that could be because of how favorable it's been to left-handed hitters. However, that shouldn't be a disappointment because I feel like there are a lot of environments, especially in the major leagues that are favorable to left-handed hitters, including Miller park. Um, he's shown great defense. He's shown the speed that we've wanted for a long time. I mean, he has a 25 and 30 season and there's no reason to think he couldn't get to 30, 40 with the way he's been able to hit the ball. So the level of production he's shown has been very exciting. Of course, you have to temper those expectations based on the information I just told you about home and away. Um, of course, strikeouts are still a big problem. He has 148 of them in his 115 games. Um, but I mean, the success just seeing him be able to actually be a run producer, which is how he was sold out of Louisville, is a very exciting. You would like to see a little bit more contact with the bat. I have heard uh, reports from scouts who know more than me that he is selling out his power to or selling out his hit tool to hit for more power. So that's concerning. But still, um, I would just enjoy that he's performing well and watch for it to roll over wherever they're playing triple A ball next year. Um, I mean, it's very good to see. I think so many people already have this disappointment in a first-round pick, another bust, another player who can't come to fruition. And just to see him actually have that production is pretty satisfying. It's, it's funny you say that. So let me let me say this as someone who used to work in the Kansas City Royals organization, uh, because we're all watching Mike Moustakis just put on a show since he's gotten to the big league level. And uh, he obviously had really, really good numbers in Kansas City as well. One of the most disappointing things at the time for Kansas City Royals fans was Moustakis was a year before Hosmer. And Hosmer got to the big leagues before Moustakis. And everybody thought that, okay, 
Moustakis was somebody who, you know, it was a bust. And may, maybe not everybody, maybe that's a little bit too strong. But there was definitely a negative feeling towards him because this other high-profile prospect in the system had passed him up. And obviously we know both players went on to have very, very good uh, careers in Kansas City. So I guess that's when, when people are thinking these things about Corey Ray, kind of the Kind of the same thing is happening. You know, Mike Moustakis was somebody in the Kansas City organization that didn't get to the big leagues quite as fast as uh, the fan base would have liked it to happen, but he still put up great numbers. That's still very possible for Corey Ray. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of development. That's why they have to go to the minors. If they're going to burn through the system like Keston Hira, um, I mean, the draft wouldn't be nearly as risky as it is. Everyone knows who pays any attention to the draft that it's a very volatile process that most first-rounders don't even make it to the big leagues, and then the number of people who make it to the big leagues each round after that goes down substantially round by round. So the possibility that Corey Ray can be a big leaguer is still exciting and still a good get for the draft. Um, that he can be a productive big leaguer is still exciting. And yeah, it might have gone a little bit more slowly. Yeah, he might have had to repeat a level. But the guy has still put, like, still has all that potential that he had on draft day that didn't disappear. He just was dealing through injuries, um, had to adjust to better pitching, had to adjust to using a wooden bat. That's what the development's for. That's what the farm system is there for to help you work through those barriers and put everything together. You may have thought that when I said it's pretty obvious who we're going to talk about, you may have thought I went with Keston Hira, but I think Corey Ray's been a little bit more impressive recently. But overall, uh, Keston Hira just continues to hit. He's at 279 through 53 games uh, with Biloxi. He has been the second baseman every single game. The last time he was the DH was on June 26th, so he's basically gone month, month and a half without being the DH, so that's another good sign. And he's not, uh, I think he's only committed two or three errors during that stretch as well, so he's playing pretty solid defense. My big question we've talked about Keston Hira every single conversation we've had since he's been drafted. I guess my question is do you think that they find a way to get him to finish off the season at AAA? Um, they could. Um, I just don't think, I think the since the Biloxi season is already guaranteed to go longer and go into the playoffs, I think they're just going to let him finish off that run and have a competitive postseason experience, even though it's only at in the minor leagues. I think that they view that winning and that opportunity to win as more beneficial for a player's future. So I think they'd rather have him be in that familiar environment, be comfortable, and go there. Then he'll if he can come up to AAA to start next year, which we would know is where he's going, and we can see how he performs in that realm. And if he performs well, I think he could be your second baseman by June. If not earlier, if he doesn't force the issue, the it's interesting that I the, I feel like when they went and acquired Jonathan Scope, they're sitting there saying that there's no way Keston Hero makes his major league debut until at the earliest after the Super Two deadline of, of next year. Um. Yes and no. I mean, we've shown <laughs> by getting Jonathan Scope, we know that they're willing to do some very weird things. So if RC is struggling again and the option is, hey, Scope has played okay defense at shortstop and we can have two very good offensive players at second shortstop 
and we feel that's more valuable than the defensive value we're getting from Arcia um, and Scope combined, then it I don't put it past the organization to do that. Um, it all depends on what they feel is valuable. I think you have, because the Super 2 deadline comes in like mid-June, you might as well just take the time and let it happen. But I'm not sure the org is as concerned about this as the previous um, org leaders of the organization were. I think David Stearns is more along that mentality of, as long as we don't u- lose that extra year, I don't mind playing him for arbitration for four years. All right, fair enough. Uh, pitching. Zach Brown, 9-0, 2.34 ERA. Uh, every time out, it seems like he's... Uh, he hasn't given up more than two runs since June 10th. Uh, he hasn't pitched here recently. I know he's a little bit banged up, but just from a, uh, 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 Zach, well, I guess what? Where's your excitement level with him? Uh, very high. Um, I mean, his season appears to be done. He yeah. has a high ankle sprain uh, that he got. Well, I think it was covering the bases. It happened a while ago, um, and I never really watched the video. Uh, because sometimes I just avoid the <laughs> injury videos because you never know what you're going to get. Um, so it looks like a season is probably done, but I see really see him as a starter in the rotation, which I know a lot of people didn't. Uh, they were kind of worried about him developing a third pitch and also his, uh, at the time, what was described as an aggressive delivery, which is interesting because they seem to be very good at helping players limit aggressiveness in their delivery. Um, Corbin Burns was a player who, like they said, had an over-aggressive delivery. And now, in my opinion, in most cases, his delivery actually looks very easy. It looks repeatable. Um, and Zach Brown seems to be very similar in that regard. And I I mean, he's a strikeout machine, or not machine, but he's like a high strikeout for a starter while also having demonstrating great control uh, with only 32 walks and 111 innings plus. Um, and he doesn't let people hit the ball. I think he is looks like another Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, um, which will be very valuable to the organization. I think it's someone who, I mean, he's already jumping into top 10 lists, mostly because of the players who have left. Uh, but I think even if you hadn't traded the players that you had and kept them around, and they would still be prospect eligible, that he would still be making his way into the top 10. Um he has looked very dominant. It'll be nice that he'll get to develop at Triple A. That's not Colorado Springs next year, mm-hmm. um, and we can see how that goes. He'll be like the first top prospect experiment for that next season. Um, but I truly see him as a starter, and I think he is yet another exciting grab um, in the Ray Montgomery, David Stearns era in terms of drafting. Gonna be interesting because. Yeah, there's a there's probably three places that they could end up next year at AAA. Uh, that I think most likely is Fresno, but there's a possibility they end up in Las Vegas. There's also a possibility that they could end up back in Nashville. And with Fresno, that's a hitters park. With Nashville, that's uh, that's more of a pitchers park. And then Las Vegas is going to be a brand new park, so we don't even know what it is. Although I would guess that's going to turn into a hitters park, but we don't know what it's going to look like next year. Right. It's going to be really interesting and to see, like I said, like just seeing him and he'll be the one to watch because he'll be our first gauge of really how those environments affect top 
pitching prospects. Uh, we knew what would happen to Colorado Springs. We saw Josh Hader struggle. We saw Brandon Woodruff mostly struggle. He did have some very good outings in his time there, especially at the start of last year. We saw Corbin Burns struggle. Freddie Peralta actually found some good success. I think that's because he's a primarily fastball pitcher. Um, but when it comes to pitchers like Zach Brown, who mix a couple pitches to keep hitters off balance, um, it'll be interesting to see if he can find more success at the new location. Um, although I have heard from few people that Fresno can be just as bad as Colorado Springs. Um, not quite as bad, but it's not good. Right. And just as bad is probably a little hyperbole, right? But it's, yeah, it's not going to do any pitchers any favors. So hope for something else. And like you said, like just based on the environment, it would make a lot of sense that um, Las Vegas would be similar to like the Arizona leagues and really favor the offense too. Although is it Arizona leagues, it's hard to judge because they're also a bunch of 17, 18 year olds playing defense for the first time professionally and not playing it well. So that's a whole nother reason for the offensive sport there. But we know that the ball flies pretty well in Arizona and you figure it's got to be a similar climate in Las Vegas. I'm so. uh, I'm rooting for Las Vegas. I don't think it's going to, my prediction is, I got to think through this real quick. My prediction is Oakland to Vegas, Washington to Nashville, and Milwaukee to Fresno. That That's my prediction, but that's not – I'm not going to be shocked if something other than that happens. But my my hope, I think Las Vegas could turn into the best possible situation. Uh, from a facility standpoint, it's going to be great. And then at AAA, there's probably nothing more important than being able to get somewhere quickly, and there's no better airport in the United States for that than Vegas. So my, yeah. my rooting interest is uh, Las Vegas. Um, I – I don't know. It always feels like the organization gets the short end of the yep. straw when it comes to these situations. <laughs> like every, aside from Biloxi, I can't her and Carolina was pretty good too. Um, but it feels like when an Everett's come down to this like crunch, we got to get a team in. Um, Milwaukee's leaving this organization. Um, they just get screwed and end up at the place that's probably the worst situation for them. So we'll see. Hopefully something new happens. I think Nashville or Las Vegas would be very cool. Um, Nashville would be very weird. Um, I wonder if there's still uh, that tension that came from when Melvin was GM and the org switching over. I wonder if Stearns and Mark – I wonder if Mark actually carries that tension still. Um, Or it's just – it's a business that's moved past it and – get something good out of this i think it's all the above yeah there's tension but let's get past it the the organization has to realize that if they have the opportunity to walk into nashville again and if they say to no no to that they end up at fresno then they've got you know for the betterment of the organization at that point they have to put let you know let bygones be bygones right and i think everyone who would be involved making that decision are smart enough that that's exactly what would happen all right, we, we went on a sidebar, but that's okay. Uh, look, we, we, I feel like we could talk about every single pitcher on this roster. I, the first guy I ask you about isn't even pitching anymore, but I feel like this, the, there's so many pitchers that put up great numbers, and that does have a lot to do uh, with the ballpark that they play in. Uh, but Cam Regner, a lot of people are very interested in him because of where he's from, being from the area. He's only pitched in a, in a handful of games now at uh, uh, there with AA, but 
so far so good. 2.45 ERA. He's not a top 30 prospect. Nobody have ever really thought much of him. He just put up those ridiculous numbers to start the season, and everybody kind of started paying attention. Is this a guy that has a chance to surprisingly continue to move through the system, or at some point is he going to top out? Um, I definitely see him as topping out at some point. And I don't want to say that because I want to root for him. But if we're being realistic, um, he doesn't really have that mix of major league stuff. After a season in the minors where he kept his ERA below one at uh, Carolina, he was then clobbered multiple times to help shift that back to a more reasonable number. Um and he just doesn't have, like, very overpowering stuff. However, if he keeps finding success and he keeps holding the league that he's pitching in in check, there's no reason that he couldn't keep coming up. And he couldn't be – I mean, he's probably – he has a ceiling of a fist starter, um, a soft-throwing fist starter who commands the uh, plate pretty well, commands his pitches pretty well, Um he can really keep things down and limit the damage when people actually get on base by getting a lot of double uh, plays. Uh, but if you look at his more advanced numbers, despite having that um, 216 ERA, if you look at FIP, which I know a lot of people are familiar with, um, the, it hits at a 341. If you look at DRA, deserved run average, it's a 403. So advanced analytics don't support the season that he was having, but they still say he's doing, he's performing well, but I really see him as a guy who might come up and get a spot start. Maybe does long relief. Maybe he's a Brett Suter situation. That would be exciting. A guy who can get a couple of years out, play for the home team. Um, but I think he's going to top out at some point. Um, and I mean, he's 25, which is pretty old for a prospect, too, um, especially just coming up from A and now getting his first experience at double A. It's not uncommon for that to happen with pitchers. It's just hard to, when you follow prospects a lot and you look at the ability there, it's hard to really see a big future for him. But, I mean, role player in the staff isn't out of the question if he keeps controlling his stuff well and really limiting the damage in the leagues he pitches in. Right, last double A pitcher to get to Trey Supak. He hasn't appeared since August third. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Uh, but three point five three ERA. You look at his numbers throughout the course of the year. July a two point seven seven ERA. His only appearance in August. He went six scoreless innings. Uh, here's another guy who I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about. Yeah, agreed. Um, he looks very pitchable. He came onto the scene last year with a dominant season in Wisconsin, then came up to Carolina and had some difficulty. Then after adjusting to the league and coming back this year, he was one of the best pitchers in the league alongside Cam Regner. Then he comes up, struggles in his first couple games in Biloxi, and since then has looked very, very good. Um, he has... A couple people have like described him as kind of a Ben Sheets-looking character. He has a good fastball, he has a good curveball, and he can really dominate pitchers with that. But it looks like he'll actually have a third pitch, which Sheets didn't. Um, however, he doesn't have Sheets' just raw pitching ability. Um, he really looks like he can be in the rotation, and if he doesn't make the rotation in the back end, uh, probably a, he'll probably be a four if he makes the rotation, four or five. Uh, but I think he can also play a really good role in the bullpen with that fastball and curveball. Um, I mean, he can get his fastball up to about 95 when he's starting. 
So you imagine he can sit 95, 96 out of the pen and then use his uh, curveball to keep hitters off balance. And yeah, you're looking at at least a very good relief pitcher, in my opinion. And he's still fairly young. He's only 22. I mean, and he's found success at every level. He'll hit those bumps and struggle a little bit, but he adjusts. And that's something that it's really good to see out of the young pitcher is someone who can bother him and just move on, make the uh, changes that he needs to make, get back in there, and then find success by making those changes. Um, He also controls the ball very well. Um, Only had 16 walks and 51 innings at um, A+. Now has 22 in 63 and two-thirds. Uh, which is good control for a 22-year-old, in my opinion. Um, average, a little less than average if that number holds up through the my, her, through the the up to the majors, but I'm not really worried about it. I think he can get under wraps and come up and be a pretty good pitcher. All right, let's jump to uh, the Carolina Mudcats at, uh, at high A. Uh, this is not a lot of really good offensive numbers because they play in a ballpark that's pretty tough to uh, pretty tough to come up with with hits and and just have sustained offensive success. So there's I mean there's a lot of interesting names on this team whether it's Feliciano or uh, Hairston, Newhouse, Ormoloy, uh, Segovia obviously was really good at Wisconsin. Now he's come up. Of those guys, none of them have real huge offensive numbers. Is there anybody, maybe especially from that group that I just mentioned, that that you feel like is having probably a better offensive season than the numbers would indicate? Um, Feliciano has had kind of a limited season. He uh, was injured for a good chunk of the first half and a little bit into the second half, and then came in, struggled immediately, and got injured again. When he was struggling, he was only hitting about 100 um, and six or seven games, then came back from his injury, made a couple appearances at Arizona, and since has looked a lot better, has been able to get into the ball a couple times, he has two homers, uh, upped his average from that low 100 mark to 220 with a 360 slugging. Um, I would say don't get worried about his numbers. He still looks like a pretty good offensive catching prospect. Um which we'll get to the other really exciting catching prospect uh, at the next level. Um, Segovia has definitely cooled off from the exciting season he was having, but the one of the guys who's having a very impressive season down there, um, and I know has a few people excited, is Weston Wilson. He's a little bit old for the level. Um, he came out, he's a round 17 pick from 2016. He's 23, playing at high A. But he's been their offensive MVP. He has 13 homers. Um, he's on the shelf with an injury right now, but he should be back relatively soon. Um, he has a 774 OPS in a pitcher's league, um, has been able to up his average up to 274, and he's looked pretty good. Otherwise, I would say you get a lot of hot and cold action there. You get a lot of guys who really go on a tear, but you can only go on a tear for so long in that league. Um, so you get a lot of mixed results uh demi has looked great since coming up from wisconsin at times and other times looks like you just put a high school or a major league ball and like he can't do anything at the plate um tucker newhouse was having a good season before he underwent shoulder surgery um so he's done for the season yet again you'd like to see that guy get a full season once without getting injured um he, he looks like a decent middle infielder but he's just never gets the opportunity to prove what he's capable of because he doesn't stay healthy. Um, But I would say most otherwise, you're not looking at a lot of superb offensive prospects. Um, 
and no one's really doing much to make you take note at this time. The, it's funny. Uh, you can see kind of the ebbs and flows of a minor league system because last year was a year where AAA and high A were just stacked, and this year not as much. Uh, this year, Double A has a lot of these top prospects, and I, I do. I look at this Mudcats roster, and um, you know, there's guys on this team that are going to make it to the big leagues. Maybe guys who are going to uh, be nice contributors. But even from a pitching standpoint, there's some guys putting up some nice pitching numbers. You know, Phil Bickford is a name because uh, of where he's been from a prospect standpoint, and then everything he's gone through to get to just back pitching again. And he's appeared in 16 games this year, and that's just a step forward for him. But there's uh, there's just not a lot of excitement coming from this Carolina Mudcats roster? No, I would say if there is excitement, it's more from the mound, too. Um, Devin Williams, who lost the season to Tommy John, used to be a top-10 prospect in the org. Uh, he's coming back, and he's pitching uh, after the year off. He came back uh, about a month and a half ago. He's thrown 30 innings. They've limited him very much so because that's just what they do with p- uh, pitchers coming back from Tommy John, especially young pitchers. So even though he has an inflated ERA at 6.37 in 30 innings, I would say just him being back is exciting and him being able to dominate hitters by getting a good number of strikeouts. Um, And a lot of his outings, he'll only give up one or two runs, but those one or two runs really impact your ERA when you're only pitching two or three innings. Um, Another guy who's been a lot like that coming off two years of injury is Nate Kirby. Um, He's had times where he looks like an ace in the making. But at 60 innings, he has a 5.13 ERA. Again, he's also only pitching two or three innings at a time. The highest I've seen him get is four. He has 21 games so far, only managed to squeeze out 60 innings. Um, but there's times where he looks like a pitching genius and then times where he just loses it. It's just part of coming back from injury. You have to get back to that level. You have to get your body back to that performance ability. Um so those are two guys I'm very excited about on the pitching side. Uh, they have some other guys who show flashes. Um, they just had a couple of call-ups in Connor Harbor, who had a very good season and 96 innings, so had a 2-2-6 ERA. Now he's pitching for a double-A. I don't really think he's more of an organizational guy, but hey, that doesn't mean he's going to end up being that way. They just got some talent from Wisconsin as well to kind of help out with what they're working on. So there is some excitement there. There are players to watch. It's just not as, like you said, it's not as big as it was in 2017 when they had all the players who are now at Biloxi. Uh, Rodrigo Benoit just got up there with them. Uh, Cooper Hummels made a couple appearances with them. But, yeah, I, again, I, I'm, I'm basically with you where you're at on this. They're just the, It's not the sexiest roster in the world. Right. Nope. Not, a, not at all, but, I mean, there's – stuff to find and reasons to watch. You just have to look a little harder than the other team. So on the other side of that, though, I've loved this Timber Rattlers team all year. I think there's been interesting guys on the on the team since day number one. Right now, they're kind of fighting for a playoff spot. I'd love to see this team make it in the playoffs. I just look at it from a position player standpoint. Uh, guys who've been around, uh, Feliciano, Harrison, Peyton Henry, Tristan Lutz, Chad McClanahan just got called up from Helena. He was an all-star uh, down there. There's just a, there's a lot of really interesting guys on this Timber Rattlers team right and it kind of happened all of a sudden uh like I feel like they weren't as stacked to start the year or some of the top prospects weren't performing as well and now you have a mix of guys who really um 
check a lot of the boxes in terms of what you're looking for in interests. Uh, KJ Harrison has been a guy who seemed like he was going to be able to produce more college bat coming in. He was disappointing. Lately, he's turned it on, showed a lot of good power numbers. He's managed to get at 26 doubles in his 98 games so far, and it's interesting to see him develop a catcher. Um, I should have started with the name everyone talks about, which is Tristan Lutz. Yeah. Had a lot of trouble in the first two months. Um and since has turned in a phenomenal season for a 19-year-old coming up to this level. Generally, you see 19-year-olds stick around in rookie ball for another year. Uh, but here he is at Wisconsin, played the whole season. They let him work through his struggles, and now he's been able to do phenomenal work with it um, and has really come along in that in his success, um, especially in the power area. You're seeing a good amount of power from him, hit 12 home runs so far this season. Um, seems every time he goes out there as of late, he's having success a little cooler in August than he was in July. Hit 304, 389, 569 in July. Um, probably would have been the prospect everyone was talking about if it wasn't for Corey Ray's July. Um, but he's looked very good. You have, and I know a lot of guys, I've been getting a lot of questions about Eddie Silva, who's only played 11 games. Non-draftee, um, free agent signing. Uh, hitting 390 there. I haven't gotten enough video to watch him, but uh, get an extensive report on him. But I know a lot of people are excited because of what he's been able to do in such a limited time there. Um, and as we know, just because you weren't drafted and were free agent signing doesn't mean you can't be have big league potential because look at Nate Orr. Mm -hmm. Um, another guy who has cooled off, but had a very good first half offensively and is another guy who provides a lot of, uh, Interest in terms of top prospects is Peyton Henry. Uh, he's really stopped hitting since kind of the end of June. Before that, he was hitting, oh, it seemed like the best hitter on the team. Um, cooled off since then, which happens with catching prospects. They tend to get a little tired and a little worse for the wear later in the season. Um, but he's hit 10 homers in 82 games. Uh, he's looked great behind the plate. And seems like their third legitimate catching prospect. I don't really count KJ Harrison in that because KJ hasn't proved he can catch full time. Um, but in terms of Jacob Nottingham, Mario Feliciano, and Peyton Henry, you have three guys who seem like they could be have ceilings of all star catchers in some regard, um, and also provide quite a bit of pop on the offensive side. Um, so there's a lot of excitement there. A guy who ebbs and flows in success, but I really like is Zach Clark. Um, center fielder with good defense. Hits about 250. Um, when he gets into a ball, you can see the power he has. Um, but he just has some swing and miss to his game that he needs to iron out. Um, and once he does, I feel like he can be a very valuable member in this organization and can start getting notice. Um, I like Nick Pierre. Um, we talked about Chad McClanahan, who hasn't gotten his first hit yet. I think he played uh, today, and I haven't checked up on all the box scores. Today being Sunday, he might have gotten his first hit. Uh, nope, two walks. So, um, But he's only played three games so far, and it's quite – I mean, we talked about it. It's quite a challenge coming up. That's why it's yeah. so surprising to see Tristan Lutz have all that success. Um, I also really like Nick Pierre, who's an outfielder, uh, one of their top – international free agent signings a few years ago um, he hasn't done a lot there so far but he started the season late with them um, actually had a few games with Helena before coming up to Wisconsin only played 22 games he's played off and on but he's a guy I think has a lot of potential a high contact guy with good defense um, 
So they're and offensively at the plate. You look at this team and one through nine on any day in the lineup can be guys who you could see being big leaguers in some way. This is the time of year where we see a guy who's from the most recent draft class get up to full season ball from a pitching standpoint. Aaron Ashby's in that group. He's made three appearances, uh, 2.30 ERA, four runs and 15 and two thirds innings. It's, it's always tough to tell, you know, early on in these guys' careers, but that's a that's a nice start for a guy who just recently was drafted and also has uh, pretty good bloodlines. Yeah, absolutely. And Ashby is one of my favorite picks of this year's draft. Um, I really like the way he uh, thinks about his progress on the mound. I talked about when we talked after the draft, um, how I interviewed him, and he talked about how he was listening to his hitting coach talk to the hitters, and he heard him talking about how important timing is and to get your timing down. So he decided himself to start messing with his delivery so he could mess with pitchers' timing. Um, so a guy who figures out ways to get a competitive advantage by himself is someone who's always going to pique my interest. Um, he struggled at Helena, and I think it's kind of – you heard, I, as someone who listens to the broadcast pretty regularly, the other day Rock was talking about how um, – the it's kind of hard for major league pitchers to go down a pitch in these rehab games because you got a lot of free swingers and guys who like you can't set them up because they're just going to swing away. And that's kind of the impression I got from Ashby's time at Helena is he was looking to set guys up because he has such a dominant breaking ball and he just couldn't get there. They would hit his fastball before he could really get there. Eventually, he settled in, was able to get a couple of good performances in. And once they felt they got him right, they moved him right up to Wisconsin, where since he's been looking great. Um, I actually am kind of surprised at how low his strikeouts have been, which he has 14 and 15 in a third inning. So it's not like it's been that low, but he was a a guy who had Josh Hader-like strikeout numbers in college. And with how good his breaking ball is, I thought he would be finding more success. So I think that'll come with time. Um, But yeah, he's someone I'm very interested in following and think everyone should make note if whenever he makes an appearance. Uh, last thing for you, and look, we you know because it's just the draft. It seems like we could talk about every single player on the Helena roster. Uh, for people who are listening to this, maybe didn't catch the podcast last week. Uh, Greg Moraz, the Helena Brewers broadcaster, was my guest, and we talked about a lot of those guys. Uh, we're not going to get too deep into uh, into this team, but Bryce Terang, eight games, three eighty two average, uh, wouldn't. Maybe he gets a chance with the Wisconsin before the season's over. I don't know. I mean, this is a guy who's just uh, – he's been very impressive so far. Yeah, he has hit everything thrown his way. The only thing we haven't really seen develop yet is the power um, at Arizona or here uh, at Helena. But he, I think it'll come. I don't think he's a zero-power guy. He's not a high-power hitter. Um, I would never expect um, – like eye-popping slugging numbers, but he's a guy who de- can definitely get into something. But he's found a lot of success so far just in terms of putting the ball in the play. Uh, the one thing that does worry me, though, is eight games. He has eight errors. That's uncharacteristic yeah. of what we were told in a scouting report. I'm not really sure what the issue is there because we get such little video from Helena. Um, but I I mean, it just like makes me take a double take because, again, it's not what we were expecting. At the end of the day, I expect that's something they'll iron out and it's not anything to worry about for the future. It was just weird to me that he is making so many mistakes considering his reputation as a fielder coming in out of the draft. That video situation could get cleared up next year as well because they'll be out of hell and others. There's a chance that they're in Colorado Springs, and if they're in Colorado Springs next year, 
that would they've already got all the infrastructure for video so you would you would assume that at least all the home games would be on the milb.tv so maybe that's a reason to hope that they keep their affiliation with that franchise and go to Colorado Springs because at least then you're guaranteed to have pretty solid video I've been secretly hoping it for that reason the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just been this deep down desire where I'm like, if I can see half of Helena's games, that would be amazing. And I could actually see these recent draftees. I could see their first picks. Um, I think Tarang, in terms of his development speed, I know you'd asked about this too. Um, I think he'll be in Wisconsin to start next year. I think they just have him on the Lutz track. So in terms of seeing him, I I mean, they did just play somewhere with video, but I've been relatively busy this weekend. So I'm actually going to go back and watch their games. I know Caden Lemons just got called up and he pitched a couple innings and I want to see his uh, performance. He got hit up a little bit, one, two thirds. He gave up three earned runs. Uh, but I want to see how he pitches um, because we haven't gotten video on him before because he only pitched in Arizona. Um, and then I want to see Terang, um, LG Castillo. Um, there's a few guys on there that I have noted that I'd really like to watch. And Javon Ward. Yeah, my guy, so, Javon Ward. Yep. He's, he's excited. I mean, they have a lot of very, very interesting young bats there. Um, that's another fun camp and one that has a lot of potential. Um, but a lot of the potential is also rough around the edges. So it's one of those where you're going to see a lot of these guys just move a little bit more slowly through the system. Um, Ward, thankfully, has been finding last year. He didn't find a lot of success at Arizona, um, but the inflated offensive environment, I'm sure, is helping him find a little bit more success at um, Helena which is nice. And he actually has been showing some of his power, which we know is there. I mean, he's six foot five and skinny as a beanstalk, but uh, he, the power is there and he's starting to show it. So that'll be exciting to see as he continues to grow. If the brewers do end up going back to what we were talking about earlier, but then bringing it back to what we said just a moment ago, if the brewers end up in either Vegas or Nashville, and if they stick with this hell in a franchise moving to Colorado Springs, the stadium situations across the board will be so good for the organization. And we can give Colorado Springs grief about be, in terms of their place as a AAA uh, stadium, but that stadium would probably be the best, if not one, is one of the best, if not the best stadium uh, in the Pioneer League, at least for a little while. And guys don't throw breaking balls at that level. That's just fastball, fastball, fastball. So the the altitude doesn't even matter that much. Uh, I... There's that would if they're if it's uh, either Vegas or Nashville and then Biloxi, Carolina, Wisconsin, and Colorado Springs, that would be I think from uh, from a stadium standpoint would be as good as you could get for just about any organization, top to bottom in the minor league system. Which is really funny because a few years ago they had one of the worst stadium situations before Nashville was rebuilt. It was one of the worst AAA stadiums in the league. Um, before Biloxi was built, they had one of the worst stadium situations in the league. Uh, before Brevard County moved, one of the worst yeah. stadiums in the league. Wisconsin was really the only good thing they had going for them. Um, and, of course, they have Maryvale. Um, I've never been to Helena. I'm sure it's a nice park, but there's also a reason they're not using it anymore, moving to Colorado Springs. Yeah, it's going to be an American Legion ballpark. They can't even – so it's uh, – with all due respect to the folks in Helena, I think if they would have built a better stadium, I don't think that team's moving. I think that that is a stadium issue. So 
I, I don't think it's an especially nice place. I haven't been there either. I am speaking probably out of turn when I say that, but <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's a great stadium situation. Yeah, um, really, all I've seen of it is from like their goodbye videos they put out on Twitter. Otherwise, I have no clue. But exactly, like I, I think teams would be rushing to get their Pioneer League teams or their Rookie League teams in there if it was a good ballpark and they wouldn't have to change affiliates. Absolutely, and I know. Uh, is it Ogden or Orem that's moving? Ogden's moving, right? From uh, they're going to move from Ogden to Pueblo, Colorado. I think is that right? One of the two. I don't know. Um, I'm thinking back. I I just looked at this in July. I think I it's can't Og- remember. I think it's Ogden. Uh, it might yeah. be Orem, but I'm pretty sure it's. I'm like 95 percent sure it's Ogden. They're moving out. They're actually so Pueblo, Colorado is like 40 minutes south of Colorado Springs. So at that point, the Colorado Springs team is going to have a team real close to them uh, because right next year, Colorado Springs is going to be out on an island in the Pioneer League with a ton of just horrendous, horrible uh, travel. But I've seen the renderings for that new Pueblo ballpark that they're going to put together. That's going to be pretty fantastic down there. This is something yeah. that nobody listening cares about right now. <laughs> hey, the development and movement of minor league teams is incredibly interesting. All right, Brad. Uh, what's uh, if folks want to follow you on Twitter? We mentioned uh, at Brew Crew Blue, and Mike, I don't, I don't know when you sleep because the the stuff you do on an everyday basis is really incredible. And the minor league report that comes up every day, and the fact that you're updating basically every single game as it's going on in real time, the fact that you've been able to stay married throughout this process is a uh, good on you for that. But uh, just tell people uh, how they can uh, how they can get in contact with everything you're doing. Yeah, so of course there's a Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Um, you can also follow the Brew Crew Ball Twitter handle, and you'll see everything I write from that and all the great work that my entire team does at Brew Crew Ball. Um, it's really I can't speak enough to how fantastic the team at that website is. We it's a very dedicated staff um, with a lot of different perspectives, but a lot of good perspectives. So you're able to get a lot of different angles on why uh, situation A or situation B might be happening. Um, A lot of good input on scouting reports, a lot of good input on um, suggested team moves. It's just, I can't speak enough to the work coming out of there right now from my co-writers. In terms of, uh, if you don't want to follow us on Twitter, if you're more of just a website person, you could just go to Brew Crew Ball in the morning, normally around 8, or or if it's not at 8 a.m., it'll be out at 9 a.m. is my daily prospect report where I send that up every Sunday. We have the weekly prospect recap where we go through how the prospects and top prospects are doing for the entire season. So in terms of prospect stuff, we have you covered. Um, And then, of course, I always write some articles looking at certain trends or philosophies or ideas in terms of whether a player can move up, why they're finding success. So you can always look for those observations as well. And if you're on Twitter and you want to message me, message me at any time. I'm always happy to, I try to answer every question that comes my way. Um, so if you don't get an answer from me, feel free to bug me. Um, cause I, I'm happy to talk brewer prospects all the time. So that's again at brew crew blue. And then follow me at BrewCrewBall or BrewCrewBall.com. I try to do that with Twitter. You're better than I am. People, <laughs> and then sometimes people tweet at me like during my post-game show, and I think they're tweeting at me as a question on the air, but they may not even be listening to the show. They may just be asking me a question. That's, that's always my cop-out on if anybody says why I didn't respond to them. Well, I think you have many other reasons to do it. Like for me, I'm just sitting on my couch, or and then like I can get to it. 
like I work a full-time job. Writing blogs is not a full-time job for me. Um, it's just something I do more for fun. Um, and because it's a passion of mine, I like writing. I like following the minor leagues and might as well combine them into two things. Um, so for me, like I come home, I just look through my Twitter mentions, see them, and I have the time to do it. You, you're prepping for the game. Uh, generally when everyone wants to talk brewers, you, you're watching the game when everyone wants to talk brewers. And then you, after the game's over and everyone wants to react to it, you are talking about the game. So it's a little bit more difficult for you to make that time. And then when you finish up and you finally get home at 1am, 2am, are the people who ask you that question really looking for the response? So I give you a lot more leeway in terms of that. Plus people can actually call you to ask. That is true. That is true. So thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I feel like you're my my defense witness. <laughs> Anytime. I'll always back you up. All right, Brad. Great stuff as always. Thank you for your time. I really do encourage everybody to read what you've got going on over at uh, Brew Crew Ball and also uh, on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Thanks so much for the time as always. We'll talk to you again real soon. Hey, my pleasure. Brad Ford joining us on the program. And I... I say this now, having gotten done with that interview just a little while ago, I didn't ask him about something that was just an incredible sight this past week, and that's a bad job by me that I didn't bring this up. Uh, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers had a win this past week where there was two outs, bases loaded. Uh, there was a strikeout, wild pitch situation, and the throw down to first got away, and three runs ended up scoring. So it was a walk-off, strikeout, wild pitch where three runs scored. I don't know about you. I've watched a lot of baseball. I spent a lot of time as a minor league baseball broadcaster. Uh, I I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that. It was just uh, incredible. Chris Marion did a a great job with the call as well. Sometimes, as somebody who has broadcast baseball, the calls I most appreciate are when something completely unexpected happens and you're right on top of it. And that was absolutely the case with Chris. So uh, good on him for what he was able to do this past week. And uh, If you have not seen the video of it, go find it. The Timber Rattlers tweeted it out. I think I quote tweeted it so you can find me find it on my Twitter at Matt Pauly on air. All right, that is going to uh, do it for the program. As mentioned, uh, going through what the schedule looks like this upcoming week. Off day on Monday. And then they play back-to-back day games on Tuesday and Wednesday, which is a little bit different. Uh, On Tuesday at Chicago, Ulysse Chassin against Jose Quintana. Then on Wednesday, it'll be Junior Guerra against Kyle Hendricks. They will take Thursday off. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're going to play a series at St. Louis. And that's going to be an important series as well with the way the Cardinals have been playing recently. Again, I want to say thank you to uh, my guests this week, both J.R. Radcliffe and uh, Brad Ford. Look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers x the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.